the objective tonight, we're trying to explicate the call and the charism of SPO. And we're trying to do that together. And so whenever I'm challenged to give a formation talk, um, and I really do mean, maybe I could go into that for a little bit. I, I really do mean challenged. Um, I mean, take for instance, so I had this reflection recently. I was on a flight from Atlanta and I was going to San Antonio. Uh, and because I'm cheap, I don't have Spotify premium. And uh, I didn't have anything except for one book to read. Um, the problem was that I, I read already. So I went from Columbus to Atlanta. And then I had a pretty difficult conversation in the Atlanta airport. It required some of my attention. So I was pretty mentally drained. And so you might be thinking like, okay, you're on your flight to San Antonio, just go to sleep, right? But still the problem was that in trying to focus in the Atlanta airport, I crushed a Mountain Dew and it was like one of those fountain drinks. So I naturally went back for a refill. So now uh, we're flying to San Antonio and you have a very mentally drained and yet physically wired Tim on the flight. And so you might be prompted to ask why I was flying to San Antonio and I'll be happy to tell you. Yeah, I will. I was uh, going on a spring break trip 2020 with six of the guys in the stronghold, two guys in the fortress, and I picked up the rear as the ninth. Um, and so there I was. There I was. Um, as of like, a, I was just completely wired. So my mind naturally wandered, and it naturally wandered to the thought, why? I began to wonder, like, why I was here? Why was I on a plane to San Antonio? And if you've ever felt a question like that before, a pithy answer like spring break 2020, well, it just doesn't cut it. It's not enough. And so anyways, I won't bore you with my actual justification for going to San Antonio, but I think that demand to provide clarity to like such an existential question, such as like, why am I here? I mean, that's like what gets to the heart of why a formation talk is even given. And it's also why I find it so challenging. And so getting back to it, the answer to that question gets a little more clear, or at least that's my hope for this time, that that answer to that question, why am I here, will be just like a little bit more clear. And that's my hope with every formation talk, but now, now it's my responsibility. So um, bear with me, I'm gonna try and do my best. Um, just so you're prepared, I'm probably right about five minutes in right now, and I'm going to try and take only 35 minutes. So that's why I started at 6.05. Um, and the goal is to spend 20 minutes laying in the foundation, and then about 10 minutes giving some practical tools. Um, just as like a little note, I mean, these aren't um, tools that came from smoking a cigar in like the back room of an exec office. These are tools that have been like, the product of my two and a half years of serving as a missionary and just like going to bed wondering whether what I did was making an impact or not. So these are pretty hard fought uh, tools that I hope to be giving and I hope that they can be extremely helpful for you. And I hope that you can use them in your life and uh, find them equally as helpful. Um, the goal of the tools is to help us both live and teach the charism of our topic tonight which is relational evangelization and a community on mission. So those are two of our six charism values. 
Okay, so I want to begin by mapping out a little bit about where we've been. So this semester series, it's on how to live, teach, and protect both our call and our charism as SPL. Wow. Okay, so what a task, right? So John kicked us off, and he shared that SPO exists because there was a need for college missionaries on college campuses, and a couple of men were ready to step up. He shared that we're here because somewhere along the line, God broke through into our life. And because we can't help but do something about it, we opted to join household, where we would be able to be invited to die to ourselves, not for the sake of death, but so that others may live. And we weren't just invited to die to ourselves once, right? If we've lived in a household, we know that it's not a one-time commitment, but rather a consistent every moment, yes, to dying to our preferences, to dying to ourselves, not just for death's sake, but so that others may live. So that's our high call. And lastly, John shared about what we can do about it. He invited us to go all in. I just want to dog ear that. I promise I'll come back to it. But John invited us to go all in. So then next we heard from Ethan and Carol. Uh, We heard both about Cain and Abel, but also about Jesus and his disciples, right? We heard about the murderous nature of comparison, bitterness, and resent. How that can happen when a group of people are together. But we also heard about the way brotherhood and sisterhood is redemptive and edifying. We heard about awesome examples of brotherhood, like St. Gregory or St. Basil. And maybe even scandalously, but definitely shockingly, Ethan told us that the best thing he did in college was not date Carol, but live in household and take a season to live as a warrior, fighting in battle for the kingdom of God to come fully alive on the campus of Ohio State. Wow. So now we're here. And the first thing I want to do, the first thing I try to do whenever given a a topic is I try to give myself a question. And so the question for tonight is exactly as I presented earlier, how do we live, teach, and protect the charisms of SPO, particularly tonight, relational evangelization and a community on mission. And I'm trying to do that inside our cultural landscape. So just so you're prepared, Now I'm probably right about eight to 10 minutes in and I hope to continue laying a foundation and then at the end, 10 minutes of practical. So hopefully, hopefully that's going to work with our time. I'm a little nervous for that. Um, Okay. So uh, I want to make a note, a nota bene, right? If you ever see like ND at the bottom of the page, it's here on my outline. Um, So I'm going to paint in really broad strokes here, but I think it's really important for us to see how the broad strokes um, take us through. I mean, I'm going to cover a lot of ground. I'm going to cover like close to 800 years. So please forgive me if it's too broad for you, but I'm just trying to create a backdrop for our conversation tonight. And so on your outline, you might see two quadrants, right? There, uh, or two, you might see two columns, right? The first column is, is how did we get here? And then that's like as our Western culture. And then the second question is, how do we get here as a church? Okay, so I want to start with something that, if you know me, it's something I find fascinating. And it dates back to the 13th century. And it's a document that is perhaps the greatest sociological development of our time. Um, But in the Magna Carta, right, 
which is actually like rooted in our Christian culture. And it's like founded on our Christian culture, which is founded on the cornerstone, who is Jesus, right? If we're looking at the cornerstone, we see this idea in the Magna Carta develop that we are guaranteed individual liberty. And so by that, I mean that even the worst criminal at this point, right, this new development said that even the, the worst criminal is given by the state a right to something. It looked like I cut out there for a second. But even the worst criminal is given a right just because he's a human being. And so, I mean, isolate that thought and sit with it for a second. To me, it's like not self-evident that that's true. I mean, what's probably more true, what seems to be more true, but actually isn't more true, what's more intuitive is that our worth should be directly corresponding to our contribution. So what seems to be true is that our worth is in direct proportion to our abilities and to our efforts. But what the Magna Carta is saying is that has nothing to do with it. And just because you're a human being, you have the same worth as every other human being. Okay, so that 13th through the 18th century was like sinking their teeth into this. And then you come to the end of the 18th century and you find the Declaration of Independence. And this goes a little further. So, so we started with like, okay, your worth is bequeathed to you by your family, by your heritage, something you walk into. And then you move to after the Magna Carta, and it's like, okay, well, now the government's giving you worth. They're saying, like, hey, you're, you all have the same worth. And then the Declaration of Independence splits even that tangential connection and says you have worth because you have worth. That your worth is actually just there because you're a human being. And that's big. That's big. So... Right, they say that you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is big stuff. And so then, um, this concept is the idea of, of the sovereignty of the individual. And that sovereignty comes from God. And so then in 1950, after like almost 700 years of this becoming just like the most bedrock foundational thought of our society, in 1950, this line of thought comes up. And what it claims is that there is no value system. There's at least no value system that can be trusted. And there's no aim that's more worthwhile than any other aim. So basically what they did is they just sucked all the marrow from the bone that is like our sovereignty. And then they looked at the husk and they threw it away. And so the way that manifested was people divided religion from daily life. Religion just became like this tangential idea that we like practiced on Sunday. And so at best to these postmodernists, religion was commonly seen as just a commitment or it was a set of rules. But those set of rules or those commitments, that's what like enslaved us. That's what we needed to be freed from. And so that's the framework that if you turn to the other side, right, you'll see, um, I think I wrote it first, but I messed it up originally. So please forgive me if it's twisted. But Pope John the Twenty Third is the first Pope 
uh, as an old man to literally prophetically see that this is developing. Because it, 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 was, it was very seminal in its form in 1950. And then it started blowing up and he saw it, I think prophetically, and he calls for a council. And he comes up with this novel idea that we need to start reaching out that at the forefront of our faith, we need to put forth the idea that we need to start reaching out, not only to those who are leaving the Catholic faith, but even those on the peripheries, even those on the very edges of society. And that not only needs to be a concept of our church, because, I mean, it had been a concept the whole time. Not only did it need to be a concept, but it needed to be at the forefront. And so um, I love the, the development of ideas, and, and this idea has developed over the past 60 years. And so from, uh, you'll see all those people in cyclicals that are associated with each pope. And so all the way from Pope Paul VI, who comes out with Evangelii Nutiandi, all the way up to Pope Francis, who's in Evangelii Gaudium, you see this development of what it means to be a community of missionary disciples. And so our church, as not just like a, a, a dead, lifeless thing, but as a living bride of Christ, it's, our church is demanding us to reintegrate our sovereignty, our liberty, our individual identity, our worth, which is bequeathed by God to God. It wants us to relink those ideas. And so um, we probably see this with a lot of our friends, right? They see religion as just another commitment, or it's just another set of rules. But, but we've tasted and seen, all of us in this room, at one point or another, we've all tasted and seen. And all that Evangelii Nuntiandi, all the way up to Evangelii Gaudium, all they're trying to express is that there's a demand on our conscience to share that joy and to reintegrate our religion to our very core. What they're asking us to do is share the joy that comes through looking at the world through the lens of our sonship or our daughtership. And so I, I kind of want to just take us through a little bit of what this looks like in my life. Um, I guess, yeah, I want to start with John 12, 24. This was when I was really young. I was a priest, or I was um, talking to a priest, and um, he was playing a very instrumental role in my life. And in adoration one day, um, this verse from John 12, 24 came to my heart, and it was like, unless a grain of wheat should fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a single grain with no life. And from that point, from 12 years old, I, I ran out of the church after adoration, went up to the priest and said, hey, my name's Tim, and I want to be a priest. And I didn't know quite what that meant at the time, the priesthood was really the only manifestation of like a full gift of self that I had, but I just needed to say like, Hey God, I, I give you everything. Like you're worthy of it all. And so then fast forward, I'm like 21, 22. I'm in minor seminary graduating. And I hear from the Lord Acts 20, 35, which says that it's better to give than to receive. And I'm like, okay. And that was my, my call to be a missionary. And then it moves into like the end of my first year where I hear Mark 10, 45. And it says that the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's where I heard 
for the first time that I wasn't just meant to die. That my sacrifice wasn't going to be forgotten. That it wasn't meant to just be death, but for life. And that all of my efforts weren't for my death, but it was so that others may live. And that required me to die. But my motivations changed. And that was really important because they changed from the death being the object to the life being the object. Okay. And then, so the reason I mentioned that, right, is because on your outline, you'll see there, it, it says developing your why. And I have there listed a couple of reasons um, why I've seen people join household or come into SPL. And so I want to take you through a couple of trajectories, right? So no, minus one, right? Minus one there. It says minus one because it means that not only uh, did the household member come in and not know why they're there, but they complained every step of the way and were vocally negative about everything that they could have not known the reason for. So that's like worst case scenario, right? But then there are like some innocent standards, right? So zero is just, I don't know why I'm here. Maybe it's just like you saw a good bunch of dudes and you're like, or women, and you said like, hey, I'm here. And um, yeah, I'm excited. You don't know quite what you're excited for. Your spirituality might not even be that developed, but these, these guys or, or women came in and they just, they just didn't know. Um, and they, had, they were like figuring it out, right? And then one, one is like, I came here because I wanted to be holy. Here I am. Um, I want to be a saint and that's important to me. And, and that is like very closely associated with personal growth. Okay, so then two is, I, I, I know that I wanna be holy. I know that I wanna be a saint. And, and the truth is that like my personal growth, I know that I've never grown personally without like a, a, a bunch of people in my life. It's like going out alone in life, it was just never gonna cut it. So here I am uh, surrounding myself with a bunch of people that are going to support me as I grow personally, as I become holy, as I become a saint. And then there's like the objective reason why household exists. And I was praying a lot for this, coming in, uh, sharing this message. Um, but this, this is like the objective reason why household exists. And it says that I'm here so that others may live. And so I want to find a living situation that will challenge me to die to myself consistently for that purpose consistently so that others may live. And so this is where I wanted to share what I consider um, the foundational passage of my life. Um, and it comes from Matthew 19, where it says that he who gives a mother or brother or sister or mother will have eternity in the life to come and a hundred times more now. And like that eternity, right? That makes sense to me. That always made sense to me. Like God, I, I don't know if things are really going to get good, but like eventually you'll make them really good. And that will be really nice because things kind of maybe are a little dreary right now and I could really use really nice. Um, but what God spoke to me was he said that when you step into your life so that others may live, everything comes together. Not only will that happen when you do that, I think I can say confidently that it almost only happens when you do that. It almost only happens when you step into that. When you, when you give of yourself fully so that others may live. Okay, so here we are, right? Um, 
probably somewhere around 25 minutes in, and I guess 20, 25 minutes. And here's the charism mentioned for the first time, right? Uh, so I want to do with these uh, last couple of minutes. Uh, it's more practical. Um, but the reason I spend so much time leading up to it is because without a firm commitment from each household member to look at life through the lens of their sonship and their daughtership, without that, this whole thing kind of crumbles underneath that. That's like the bedrock. We all need to walk into this experience this day, this month, this year, looking at life through the lens of a son or a daughter. And without that, none of these tools are going to make any sense. So nevertheless, let's just start with a community on mission. Um, so you want to go to, it, it says the exposure principle. Um, so this is probably where I'll wrap up this part, and then I swear I only have like 10 minutes left. I don't know why it's going to end at 6.30. I thought it was supposed to end at 640. But here I go. Okay, so the exposure principle, right? If you look at it, it says reach, call, and then form send. It's kind of divided into three parts. And that's like to understand the trajectory. And so I think it's really important for us when we walk into something to know why we're doing it, right? Like the flight from San to San Antonio. Like, why am I here again? I'm trying to like figure it out. So, so here, I'm trying to explain why we do the things we do, right? So like, why would we have people over for coffee? Why would we play Frisbee with different people? Why would we like host an event, right? And that, that first thing, why would we have household dinner? The first thing is to like bring someone through the door. And so we can decide as a group, as a group of people, we can decide that this dinner, that this party is for like anyone who's anyone. Just bring someone over. But then your buddies in the house, they know that they're not going to bring up something like obscurely theological during that conversation, during that event. And the reason they're not going to do that is because the person on the other end probably isn't going to receive that too well. Right? We're not going to talk about like the deeper commitments of household. We're not going to be talking about like fasting. We might talk about like chores instead. Talk about something like they can relate to and then take the next step. So that's like reach, right? And then we move into call. So like as we're, we're bringing up those more difficult conversations in the reach phase, we find that the Holy Spirit shows up and that people grow. People walk out of our environments different than they walked into our environments. And so maybe what this looks like is someone came to a household dinner, they heard a conversation about what it means to be a, a real woman or a real man and now they're like, I'm actually kind of interested in that. So you invite them to like a men's night and they hear a talk or they invite them to a, a women's night and they're like invited into the environment, right? And then they're like, wow, you guys are doing something different. And it's like, yeah, well, like what's to it? And it's like, well, maybe you invite them into like the journey of prayer that we have together. So they come over for morning prayer and they get up really early and that's super gritty of them. And so, like, you keep walking with them as they take the next step, right? And then we eventually get to, like, form and send, where as, like, their trajectories start changing and they start giving more of themselves to the Lord, when they start realizing that their life was meant to be given over 
then they, like it develops pretty quickly. And so I want to just say um, what I'll be going into here. We're going to let the time expire. Um, but we'll be going to here is um, how this happens. Because this doesn't happen by accident. And if we go about household by accident, it won't happen. Like none of this happens by accident. This only happens when a group of men and women are coordinated moving somewhere. Sarah, can you give a quick word?